0: Welcome, thank you for coming. uh, so early in the morning. Uh, My name is Rahul Soans and I'm the founder of the Disruptive Business Network. Um, The Disruptive Business Network is really uh, an event series that looks at how new ideas and technology are changing how we work. Uh, In the zeitgeist there seems to be a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty about business structures and business models, about the advent of technology and just uncertainty about uh, how we navigate all of that. So with that, um, the disruptive business networks, uh, our claim is that we don't have the answers but we're asking the questions. Um, and one of those questions I think that keeps coming up is this question around meaning and, and purpose in the work that we do. Um, you know, technology and money and prestige and all those things are wonderful, but does really matter if we, if there's, you know, the constant drudgery in the work that we do. So. Part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to really find answers to those questions. Like, how can we find meaning and purpose in what we do? And the way we're doing that is through learning from others, learning from the stories of others, learning from those who have gone before us. And in that regard, uh, that's why we've started this podcast. This is the fourth interview we're doing. Uh, We have Christopher, who was our first in the audience. and we're really thrilled to have Manaj here with us today. Uh, Manaj, if you could briefly introduce yourself and what you do. I wanted you
1: to introduce me. <laughs> I hate talking about myself. Uh, yes, so my name is Manaj Diaz. Mm. I'm, a, uh, I'm a meditation teacher. I'm a father. I'm the founder of A-Space. Um, A-Space meditation studio. Uh, we opened up in 2016, and um, mm. it was the first drop-in meditation studio in Australia. Um, and well, in the last four years, I've been kind of traveling and teaching. Um, that's me. Is that all
0: yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. Okay, good. And before we start, being that your meditation, I was w- wondering if you could guide us through a quick. I would have charged you if I knew. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll put a money tip at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: um, I'd be happy to. So, um, do we have any people that are brand new to meditation? No one meditated before? Cool, great. Um, You know, in in my meditation practice, a lot of it is around embodiment. Uh, So I come from the Buddhist lineage of of teaching. And in my tradition, what we tend to do is we tend to experience our body and we tend to cultivate presence and compassion. Um, And there's a lot of other things amongst that too. But I thought with the few minutes that we have this morning, we could just spend a few minutes getting into the body. Because um, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to spend a lot of my day from the neck up, you know, cognizing, thinking, planning. And not often am I just kind of here, just in the body. So Mm -hmm. let's try that out. So uh, the first thing I'll invite you to do is just to to plant your feet down if you feel comfortable doing that. You can sit up in a way that feels comfortable and alert, but not too rigid, not too forced. Don't feel like you have to to do that. And then the last thing is just your chin. Just make sure you're not lengthening it up or lengthening it down. It's like you're kind of seeing someone eye to eye. And then again, if you feel comfortable doing so, feel free to close your eyes. Now as you close your eyes, I want you to take a really intentional deep breath into the back of your stomach. And then as you open your mouth and exhale, let your shoulders drop down. Good, please do that again. Take a deep breath in from the nose into the front of your belly. Open your mouth as you exhale again, drop into the body. Let's do that all again, one more time. Full breath into the whole body. And then open your mouth, let something go. Now, as you begin, I don't want you to try to become calm or peaceful don't even try to focus I want you just to bring your awareness to the feeling of body as it is today as it is touching your chair so you might begin to notice first of all that there is a heaviness through the feet And notice what the feeling of the floor is like. You may begin to notice a tingling sensation or a warmth. Bring your awareness to your buttocks. And notice how the buttocks land on the chair. The feeling of your back. Without interpreting it, just notice the feeling of your back against the rest of the chair. Bring your awareness to your face. What does your face feel like? bringing your awareness to your stomach as you bring your awareness to your stomach notice if there is any feedback today is there a particular thought or emotion that is in your body. And again, instead of trying to interpret it, can you just allow whatever is there to be there? This is how we begin to befriend ourselves. please then take a long deep breath in and as you open your mouth feel your body soften down and then one last deep breath in this time let something go now whenever you're ready in your own time you can begin to bring your awareness and attention back into the room and eventually you can open your eyes
0: thank you wow thanks for that welcome um i think well i think that Really is a great segue to my first question, which was before we explore your journey, is that something that came up in your online biography was that you spent most of your career in self-management rather than self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could speak more to that. Yeah. yeah so um,
1: whenever I come to the Docklands, there's a little bit of nostalgia for me because uh, you know I started my my um, My working career in marketing and advertising and i might have worked for a a bank down the road for (laughs) (laughs) for very many years Mm. and um you know that that experience really um taught me a lot and when i talk about self-management for me um i came to to meditation and i came to, to this sort of work not through uh, kind of deciding this seems like a pretty cool career change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came to this sort of work from a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd experienced um, anxiety, which was you know pretty undiagnosed for uh, a lot of years. Like we don't talk about it like we like we do now in in Melbourne in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that kind of culminated for me in having a pretty serious panic attack one day at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I began to, to really explore ways of, of getting better because I went to, to lots of different doctors and psychologists mm-hmm. and psychiatrists, uh, and I kept on getting misdiagnosed by all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first doctor I went and saw said I was just kind of stressed out, go home and mm-hmm. take a couple of days off and rest. Uh, the second uh, psychologist that I saw said I had depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of medicated, gave me medication to take. Um, probably about three days after that, like I was at Pretty disassociated from my body and my mind. And I remember seeing a psychotherapist and they're like, Oh, no, no, you've got attention deficit disorder, take this medication. Um, and this kind of went on for about a week. And um, yeah, I, I went through about two years uh, where I didn't work, where I couldn't work. Um, I developed an addiction to the medication. I had pretty serious anxiety, insomnia, I developed an eating disorder. Um, yeah, it was a whole host of lots of different things. So for me, it was always around how can i understand like my experience my human experience um, because i was suffering a lot i didn't have any words for that um, i felt like i didn't have any support at mm-hmm. the time and um, yeah eventually uh, by chance a friend kind of came to my house one day it's like come and come and do a yoga class and this is no joke i remember telling him uh, i don't own any lululemon I, I can't go i can't go and do yoga <laughs> Uh, and then he said, like, no, there's lots of girls there, come. <laughs> 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 so that's how he actually dragged mm. me to my, uh, actually, it wasn't even a yoga class. It was a, it was a meditation class, a Buddhist mm. meditation class. And, um, and that's really where I learned uh, to ha- how to understand my mind and mm. how to train my heart. And that's really where, um, yeah, things started to shift for me. Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe going back to the start, were you brought up in Australia?
1: Mm. Uh, I was born in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in Sri Lanka and I came to Australia when I was six. Mm. Uh, and for whatever reason, my parents decided Far North Queensland was the place that they wanted to migrate to. <laughs> uh, no idea yeah. why, no idea why. Yeah. Maybe they just thought like, you know, all the, the the racial abuse and everything would be good for my character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a very, pretty rough sort of
0: uh, upbringing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so you did your schooling in Far North. Queensland? I was
1: there for about three years and then we moved to kind of regional uh, Victoria mm-hmm. and then grew up um, just outside Bacchus Marsh, uh, Melton, that sort of area. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, went to school, uh, went to uni, did two and a half years of a master's degree and mm-hmm. uh, then just started working.
0: You know? mm-hmm. yeah. w- what did you study at, at uni? Uh, commerce. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what guided that decision to study commerce was it? <laughs> so my
1: mom was like you my dad actually was like uh, you better be a doctor mm. I'm like I don't I don't like medicines like you better be a lawyer mm. like I don't like to argue <laughs> was like we well, better go and do commerce then. I'm like, All right. <laughs> Uh so it was actually that mm. um, and I actually so during my last year of school um, my partner uh, at the time was mm. got pregnant mm-hmm. and we ended up having a, a beautiful daughter so I ended up leaving <sighs> okay. uh, about two months before my, my school finished uh, and started working. I started working at a bank mm-hmm. and then um, kind of made my way up in the bank and then uh, two years later um, I started this this degree
0: mm-hmm. so you were a father at a very yeah very young age yeah nineteen Wow. yeah yeah and maybe about shows it. right <laughs>
1: it's all the great hairs <laughs>
0: <laughs> um Thinking about say, on, on being a father at such a young, young age, and maybe looking at your career now, do you feel that has guided some decisions, or was it merely out of necessity that you then went into banking, or was it, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was definitely like, I had to find a way to look after my, my daughter. Mm. Um, but also, like I had no idea, like at 19, I had no idea about anything in life, mm. like parenthood, or work, or I had, no idea about anything and um, the necessity to to work kind of guided me to start working at a branch i think it was actually like a call center like the first Mm. job that i had which was so funny Mm. Um, because i hate being on the phone as well that's like the other thing Mm. Uh, but yeah it was just like something that i had to do and and, you know it paid well and it offered some security at at that point in my life and um, Mm. so i did that
0: and then how long were you working at the bank before you did your masters uh for about two years okay yeah yeah and say before you got the job at the bank say while you were growing up at far north queensland as a kid was there something that really made you feel alive and
1: yeah so um dancing yeah <laughs> so this is controversial but like michael jackson was my idol like, mm. literally, I would get my mum to cut my pants, like, shorter than my shoes so I could pull the white socks out, <laughs> and I could, like, I'd cruise around with, you know, the white socks showing, and I'd wear, like, mm. a, a glove, and... Uh, mm. I, I wanted to be a dancer when I was young. Mm. And, um, you know, like, I, I grew up with fairly conservative Sri Lankan parents. Like, mm. they're not conservative, considering, like, they let me have a child when I was 19. Mm. But, um, you know, they were, they were fr- pretty traditional. So mm. for them, the idea of being a dancer um, just was not an option mm. you know so it was always like make sure you study make sure you study make sure you study mm-hmm. and um, and you know I really struggled like I, I probably did as a child have like attention issues mm-hmm. um, I was so much more interested in, in people and connecting and sport and physical activities mm. um, but I was very curious as a young person as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the idea of kind of sitting down at a desk and, and trying to remember anything was, was really difficult for me mm. um,
0: is there anything that happened at school that really you think shaped who you are now
1: yeah yeah and you know for me it was like I kind of mentioned before like when my family migrated from Sri Lanka to Australia Mm. um, literally in this whole town I was the only black kid Mm. and uh, I came from Sri Lanka where I was I was kind of beginning to explore my spirituality from a very young age uh, Mm. because where we lived um, down south in in Sri Lanka in Gaul um, there was lots of temples and and lots of uh, Buddhist teachers and monks, kind of cruising the streets, mm-hmm. and my dad used to freak out because even as a child, when we were riding in the back of a van, because everyone in Sri Lanka has vans, mm-hmm. um, I would literally stand up whenever I saw monks, and I would kind of do this, <laughs> and he was freaking out, thinking, "Oh my god, my son's going to be a monk," and like, yeah. <laughs> so he would like tell my mum to kind of hide me, like, don't let him see, like, don't let him see the monks. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I was very uh, connected to spirituality, even if mm-hmm. I didn't know. What it really was at a young age, mm-hmm. and then when I came to, to Australia, it was for me just trying to survive mm. because you know every day I was experiencing something that just didn't make any sense to me because mm-hmm. I was around people that looked like me, and all of a sudden everyone doesn't look like me, and you know I was getting teased, I was getting abused, and mm. um, what it did, like it, it created uh, like this hardness in me for for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it created this wall of just having to protect myself, just having to try to fit in. So, um, you know, as opposed to really exploring my childhood and spirituality from a young age, for me, it was like, I need to fit in as quick as I can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was, yeah.
0: yeah. Was your family religious at all? Or?
1: Um, you know, in, in, in Sri Lanka, uh, people that are Buddhist are religious in terms of the ritual. Like, mm-hmm. they, they kind of prioritize um, certain practices within the, the, the Buddhist tradition, like mm-hmm. generosity, um, compassion. Uh, and, and giving. So, you know, in terms of mm. that respect, they did that a lot. We had monks coming through the house that would do all these um, offerings and these services. But uh, in terms of meditation, no, like they mm. never really integrated the meditation as part of their religious practice. Mm.
0: So, as a kid, so growing up in, say, firstly in Sri Lanka, when, when you saw those monks, do you recall the feeling that you had? Like what, what really sparked that? I was, just fascinated. To, yeah. I was just
1: fascinated because they all had like really funny faces. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. I remember seeing them as a child. I'm like, they look, they look interesting. They look like interesting people. Mm. Um, you know, Sri Lanka itself is a very, I find it a very gentle place. Mm. And, um, you know, monks have like, for me, always had this certain aura. Mm. Um, I didn't know what it was. It was not like I was drawn to them because I thought they were amazing. It was like, I was just really curious about um, these people that were able to maintain this sense of equanimity amongst you know the hustle and bustle of a, of a place like Sri Lanka.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so m- maybe fast forward to say your first job at the bank. My uh, first job was at McDonald's. Oh, McDonald's! Okay. <laughs> 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 when I was like 13. Um, you know, important rite of passage. <laughs> yes yeah. yes
1: yeah shout out to McDonald's.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you start working at the bank at the call center and mm-hmm. then how did that progress? How did your career progress through
1: the bank, was it? Jeez, uh, you're taking me back now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like it was like, it was just really fun times actually. like yeah. I have like the most fondest memories of, of that job because I met some amazing people that are like lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a lot of young people at, the, at that stage, you know, like 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, we used to like go to this little pub, which was a, on Smith Street, no, Smith Street, on um, Spencer Street forgot what it's called now, it's like this Irish pub, but like mm. every Friday we used to go and just get so drunk. Mm. And um, I, I don't do that stuff anymore, right? <laughs> but like, I used to look at it as like mm. this really amazing time in my life where I felt really connected to people. You know, I felt like everyone was really curious about life at that stage. Mm. No one had like these really fixed views on um, getting anywhere in a hurry because, you know, we were all working these like shitty jobs like in call mm. centers. And it became more about like how can we enjoy the day like how can we Mm. have fun with each other and um yeah i really enjoyed my my time there i hated being on the phones but enjoyed working with everyone Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and then so from the call center job what happened next
1: um so then i started studying and then from there i transitioned into the marketing team Mm -hmm. Uh, first as like a a coordinator or something like that uh, in the product team so i remember working with credit cards Mm -hmm. and then from there i started to slowly get more into the creative side into Mm -hmm. the branding uh interested in more the advertising side um, and for me, like the creativity of, of marketing, really, um, really spoke to me, hmm. and I loved the the flexibility and how um, rigid it it didn't feel.
0: Hmm. And what was your like in marketing? What was your day to day like? Were you? You mentioned that okay, there was creativity involved, there was you know people around, um, but did you feel that something is missing? Like when did that feeling come yeah, about? It, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I was selling credit cards people like it wasn't <laughs> like I was changing anyone's lives mm. for, for the better and um, there was this feeling you know I got about f- three or four years into it mm. where I remember asking myself one day like is this it? Mm. Like is this like what it's like to be an adult mm. to be human mm. um, and I think also that's when like my anxiety kind of started as well where I was mm. kind of questioning like this doesn't feel right. Uh, and not because it was credit cards or anything like that, but because mm. I just felt like every day was like Groundhog Day for me. And um, it was like that question started to kind of form in my mind. Like, mm. is this it? Like, is this what I'm put on this earth to do, mm. is to promote credit cards? Mm. Um, and it, that question really sat with me and it burned with me. And mm. over time, it caused me a little bit of stress as well, you know, because mm. um, I started to not enjoy my work. and. It felt very removed from like, what really gave me happiness, which was like when I was with people, like talking to people and um, yeah, like it, it just started forming from you know, a very young age for me.
0: Hmm. And at that time, did you also get caught up in the rat race in terms of you know, promotions and, and I suppose the ambition with that? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, I think you know, we're conditioned as a society to, to think that uh, more equals happiness i also think we're obsessed with happiness as a society but that's like a whole other talk Mm. Um, (laughs) we'll get into but you know i was the the youngest marketing director um, at the bank Um, Mm. i made a lot of money uh, at a very young age Mm. Um, i got caught up in that lifestyle of like work hard play hard Mm -hmm. Um, and for me like uh, i got to a point where i had everything from the outside people thought i uh, thought that would make me happy Mm. and i was miserable like I wasn't sleeping, I was drinking three or four coffees a day, I was having all of these existential questions in my mind. Mm. Um, and that's when I just kind of started to really think like, there has to be more than money. Mm. Um, there has to be more than, you know, these cool things, projects that I get to do. Mm. Um, and I didn't have an answer for it at that point, but um,
0: mm.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so just with the, say, the existential. Do you remember like moments when that would come up, or like particular things you, that you were doing, or maybe was it spending time with your son, or you know, when did when did that when did that come up?
1: Ah uh, no, it wasn't it wasn't that. It was more like day to day. I was, um, you know, we spend so much of our day at at work, mm. and it's like we work to. To live but really it's like we we live to work and, and that's like what I was feeling like I was mm. feeling I was just working so much mm. and I wasn't enjoying it and there was no meaning um, I was very much in my head the whole day mm. from the moment I woke up um, it feels like I'm competing with people <laughs> like mm. that I'm that I'm in this industry with um, and that didn't feel good and I always felt like I was on high alert mm. you know um, so it just wasn't it wasn't like um, it came when I was with my daughter, like when I was with my daughter, it was like when I was the most alive. Mm. Um, it was when I had the most meaning just to see her kind of develop into this beautiful creature. Mm. Um, but at work, it just felt really hollow mm. and um, yeah, it started yeah. there.
0: Um, just going back to your previous point on happiness. Mm. Um, what do you think this obsession with happiness is about? Yeah? Oh, man. Or, or do you see a distinction between happiness and meaning? I know that's probably two separate questions. Yeah, yeah. I I
1: think there is a distinction Mm. between happiness and meaning. But, Mm. um, you know, like, and I was part of this working in marketing. I feel like we're really obsessed culturally with with happiness. Mm. Uh, If we're not feeling happy all the time, it's like we should go out and go on a diet or drink celery juice or Mm. um, go and do yoga or go and do meditation or Mm. go and do this. And we're kind of sold that, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was never taught that there are a myriad of other emotions that are okay. Mm-hmm. I was never taught that you know fear was okay. I never thought that pain was okay. Mm-hmm. I never thought that unhappiness was okay. I never thought that melancholy and sadness were normal the human mm-hmm. experience. I was taught that if you weren't happy, then there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think there is more to life than happiness. I think being able to move through our life with you know compassion, with grace, with ease, is really what it's all about. And, and what I've really learned that. Instead of chasing happiness it's this ability to move through pain and find the happiness within the pain and to realize that there wasn't anything actually missing in the first place mm-hmm. that this experience is what we're all going to eventually go through sad times mm-hmm. and amongst that we can find moments of, of happiness and grace mm-hmm. um, but you know I'm a victim of that you know like I the like Four months ago, I broke up with uh, my girlfriend and, and I saw a pair of shoes and the, the, as I was walking down Collins Street, I'm like, that's gonna make me happy. Mm. Um, like $800 later, it didn't make me happy at all. Um, mm. But, you know, I'm a victim of that. I, I feel like um, I want to experience something happy, momentary happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm learning is just to sit in what feels uncomfortable sometimes. Mm. And um, although at the moment it can feel painful, when we go through that, there's, there's more clarity, there's more ease, there's more equanimity. Hmm. There's more compassion as well, right?
0: Yeah. Just along those lines, I heard this say analogy, just this distinction between happiness and meaning, in that um, why do, say, mountain climbers keep going back to the mountain? You know, it's, it's a horrific experience. You know, they're, it's really tough. You know, there's frostbite and, you know, but um, it's not a very happy experience climbing a, mu- climbing a mountain. but They keep doing it. Mm. Why is that? Mm. And my assumption is that getting to the top, that feeling must be something that they can't experience anywhere else.
1: Yeah, Mm. I would think of it as more the journey to the top. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like, again, like we think that once we get to the top, that Mm. there is going to be meaning or there is going to be happiness there. But for me, it's like it's that journey there. Like that. For me, when it comes to meditation, I've realized that the path is the destination Mm. you know and just the moment to moment dealing with my heartbreak dealing with sadness dealing with joy um, that's that gives me meaning Mm. you know learning that i still get stressed i was running late this morning and i was like oh my god i am that meditation teacher that is stressed Uh, (laughs) and then there was like a judgment Mm. And I was like, oh, you can't be that person. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, everyone's going to think you're weird. Mm. Um, (laughs) But then it's like, no, like, this is kind of human, right? And then Mm. it's like, there was a moment of clarity when it's like, "Ah, it's okay, like, Mm. it's not the end of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then, say, going back to working at the bank, you're doing well, making lots of money, had these friends around you. uh, But there was that existential crisis. But then you experienced this... uh, uh, this real you know, health issues with, with the panic attack and, mm. uh, and then could you explain your journey coming out of that um, how did you recover from that
1: yeah. yeah so I met this teacher at this, uh, at this class that I went to mm. and um, the first thing he said as we walked in and as we were kind of sitting down and, and going through mm. some stretches he said uh, you are not your thoughts and as he said that I was like what the fuck is he talking about I'm mm. oh, not my thoughts, it made no sense to me at all but he said it like three or four times and there was a point near um the end of this practice when he said it again and i had a moment of clarity where i observed all of these really random thoughts going through my mind mm-hmm. um, and one of them was you know you're not going to get out of this mm-hmm. the other one was you're not good enough mm-hmm. another one was uh, how are you going to look after your daughter mm-hmm. um what are you going to have for lunch today like mm-hmm. all of these different crazy thoughts and. There was a moment that I realized I didn't, I had a choice in how I interacted with that thought. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to just be like, oh yeah, I am not good enough. Oh yeah, like I, I'm never gonna get out of this. There was a mm-hmm. space and this gap where I felt like there was a freedom to choose how I responded. Mm-hmm. So I ended up coming back the next day to this teacher and the next day and the next day. It was five years every single day that I practiced with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I eventually ended up studying with him for close to 10 years. But what I learned in that process was to just be with my body, Mm -hmm. observe, uh, the internal and the external experiences, Mm -hmm. and then create and cultivate wisdom to respond to those things. And all of this kind of stemmed from being in my body. Um, like, you know, when I meet someone for the first time, if I'm like, like that, like that's a, that's a sign to me that there's something that, that feels off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. If I'm around someone and I feel really comfortable and I feel really like, ha, ah, like that's, that for me is again, like it's a, it's a feeling, it's a sign that something is safe. Mm-hmm. You know? um, when I practice meditation in the morning and I feel like pain across my chest, I go to it, I don't avoid it. And then what reveals itself is usually like a memory or an experience from a time when I've avoided feeling something. Mm-hmm. So all of these like practices have really helped me just be in my body mm-hmm. and to, to experience life with this compassion and this presence and this wisdom. And, you know, coming out of like this two-year period where I wasn't working, mm-hmm. um, I was coming to like the end of my, my money and I didn't have much to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was literally down to like $50 in my bank account. Um, my mum and dad had been giving me money. And then I remember saying to my teacher, I'm like, hey, I got one or two options here. Um, either I go to Sri Lanka and I take robes, like that's it. Um, or I need to go back to work. Mm. And I was really surprised. Like my teacher's like, should you go back to work? Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yeah. like, And he, what he said was really profound. He was like, you know, if you want to cultivate your spirituality, don't run away from the world and, you know, hide yourself in the cave and, and mm. practice that. Go and have a relationship go and work go and struggle and then cultivate the, the you know we call it the fearless heart within that mm. um, so I went back and I worked for an energy company and it was again like the highest paid job that I had mm. but in that time I was working for six months uh, my teacher had asked me to start to teach and uh, I was doing like one or two classes for him it was literally for free and then another studio asked me to go and teach and I started doing like these three classes on the side and then working full time. And I realized like what I was craving when I used to, to work in the corporate space, I just wasn't into at all. And it wasn't like a conscious thing. Mm. Like I just didn't have that hunger to like climb the corporate rad- ladder. And I didn't have the desire to argue and debate people about mm. like stakeholder improvements <laughs> um, and mm. stuff like that. And I just felt like oh, I'm just wasting my time. And it was that existential crisis started to come up again. I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, to be honest with you, like, I was offered two more classes, and at that time they were paying like uh, teachers like $50 for a class. Literally like you'd spend three hours at a studio and you'd get paid 50 bucks. Um, and it wasn't enough to even buy lunch these days, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I felt so alive in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, what made me feel alive was, um, there was a a connection there was like what I was seeing was like people were coming to this realization that they could be with their body they could be with their pain Um, they could just by spending a few minutes being really aware of their surroundings I saw their face start to change Mm -hmm. and open up and um, there was something very fulfilling about that for me Um, very gratifying in that moment and I wanted to be just in that space even if I wasn't getting money Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in that space so um it was not the wisest move at all i just kind of decided one day like hey i'm gonna just take a leap of faith and Hmm. just see what happens um and i quit my job Hmm. and i started teaching like five classes a week uh and the rest is kind of history
0: yeah Yeah. amazing so was that the genesis of a space
1: Hmm. um yeah so that was probably about 10 12 years ago now and I wouldn't advise, like my, my step of just taking a leap of faith, don't do it unless you have money or, or a rich partner or family, right? Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Um, because I really like, I, I never struggled spiritually or emotionally, mm-hmm. but you know, I didn't go on a holiday for five years or I couldn't mm-hmm. buy nice shoes or, or anything nice mm-hmm. actually. Um, but I felt very fulfilled on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I was teaching for a long time for different studios and classes, Um, One day I caught up with a friend of mine and I actually said, hey man, like I've got a lot of friends that are working in corporate space Mm. and I see how they're kind of battling depression and anxiety and insomnia, um, but they never come to my classes. Like, I don't know why. Mm. And um, like I said, I wanted to create something where they would feel safe enough to come and they Mm. could explore these things, which I thought were pretty healing. And then he's like, all right, cool. Let's just do like an event. And we did like a a pop-up four-week learn to meditate course Mm -hmm. um, and it sold out and it was like 35 people it was in like a a cafe that we borrowed Mm -hmm. and um, and that was really cool and then the next month we did like a workshop on on stress and the next month we did like a a workshop on compassion and kindness and Mm -hmm. we saw the same people kind of coming back to each of them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then uh, one of the one of the people that came is like man this is great but I have to wait like four weeks to see you and I'm usually coming back because it's the exact same content, but I just mm. kind of like being in this space, I'm getting to meet all these people. Um, and I'm like, oh, cool. That's, thanks for telling me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can't do anything about it because I've got <laughs> no money. <laughs> so uh, mm. I remember then we went to New York in I think the summer of uh, mm. 2015 or 2016. And um, I went to a lot of uh, meditation studios there. Mm-hmm. And what I was seeing were these amazing communities that were just popping up and uh i started to kind of form the idea that you know australia was ready for a meditation studio Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point i've been working at yoga studios primarily and um yoga was pumping at that stage you know it was like the yoga boom and probably still is for a little bit Um, but australia didn't really have a meditation studio Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, that was just focused on meditation offering different styles of practice for different people Um, and offering a place where it was pretty uh, secular, so you didn't have to be associated with a religion or any sort of dogma to come and just sit and practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of convinced my my co-founder at that stage. um, I go, let's open a studio. He's like, dude, we got no money. Mm. I'm like, let's just do it anyway. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So we came home, we took our two credit cards. Mm -hmm. uh, We maxed them out within like three weeks. Um, we borrowed this little space at the back of a psychology practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled in all the favors I could from all of the students that I had along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my students was an architect of like this amazing architecture firm. I'm like, do you reckon like if I came to your work and taught you guys how to like not be stressed, you would help me design my meditation studio? <laughs> uh, and they're like, do you know how much mm-hmm. we charge for that shit? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know how much I charge for my shit? <laughs> uh, so he did like a real solid for me and and, Mm. you know helped design the space and um borrowed money from our families and we opened up a
0: space Mm -hmm.
1: yeah
0: and also see when i look at a space and i I look at you like there's something very menage about a space (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that means Um, i mean it's kind of imbued with your i suppose dna almost right um i suppose the question is what what about you or like what what's something that's unique about you that you bring to a space
1: you know I wanted to create a space as a place where people can come and just be authentic Hmm. you know they didn't have to come and they didn't have to feel the pressure of having to be calm or Hmm. having to look a certain way of having to feel like they're different Uh, and this kind of stemmed back from me as a child in far north Queensland right Hmm. I always felt different Mm-hmm. Um, and I, wanted, I never wanted people to feel like that. I wanted people to feel like they're coming home. Mm-hmm. So if they're coming home and they're depressed or they're coming to a space and they're angry or they're coming to a space and they're skeptical, mm-hmm. I wanted all of that to be okay. And um, the way I live my life these days is like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have to put on this persona of being the spiritual guy um, because I, I thought I had to at, at a certain point. I'm like, oh, I've got to be the real calm guy. Mm-hmm. I've got to mm-hmm. wear a white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wear my mala beads. Um, yeah. mm. And then I was like, I don't really enjoy that. And mm-hmm. for me, meditation practice and what my teachers have taught me, meditation practice and spirituality, um, we don't do it to become more spiritual or to become good at meditating. We do that to become better at life and wiser at life. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know what excites me is now that... People are more drawn to, to meditation, maybe through A-Space or me or whatever, mm-hmm. and they don't feel like they have to change who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they can cultivate this compassion and this goodness that is already deep within them, mm-hmm. and they can go and have a few beers on a Friday night mm-hmm. um, and not feel bad about that.
0: Yeah. You know? I, I think also, say, reading about you and hearing your story, I think there's also that, firstly, that feeling of you being an outsider in front of Queensland that you want to correct in some way. And then there's also kind of your experience as a kid with those monks and just seeing that um aura about them that you want to bring to people yeah Yeah.
1: it's funny like um so last night we kicked off this like monthly uh series Mm. uh it's called no life meditation club and it's essentially just a meditation club where people just kind of come together and Mm. share stories and um the person that i invited to share a story was a sexologist I'm like, yeah, like this could be fun. Like meditation, sex, like, yeah, like, <laughs> makes makes sense. Mm. Um, and literally like 10 minutes before, she's like, I'm not going to come. I'll just come and listen. So uh, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to share a story. And um, I never planned what I'm going to say, mm. but I literally had like six minutes between like the time of leaving the Melbourne Business School where I was to mm. the time I got to my house. It was like a seven minute Uber ride. I'm like, I better work out what I'm going to say. And um, yeah. what I spoke about was when you meditate people think that it's all fun and games like it's like oh yeah i'm gonna be calm now i'm gonna be i'm gonna be peaceful now Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time when you are just with yourself with your body what you realize is how much pain and suffering and trauma has been there Mm -hmm. and what i spoke about was that um what i realized in my career in my life is that i've been trying to heal myself Mm. for a lot of my life through the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So everywhere I go, I'm based between New York and Melbourne now. So six months of the year I'm there, six months I'm here. And wherever I go, I create communities, right? I create gatherings around meditation or compassion or storytelling. And a lot of that has been because I don't, like I remember myself feeling lonely. I remember myself feeling alienated. I remember myself feeling like I didn't belong. And everything that I've really tried to do is to to remedy that Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so it's definitely imbued with, with my with my trauma, but also with my joy of um, using meditation as a way to connect.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so when you first went to the first yoga class or the meditation class to a- check out the girls, <laughs> yeah, to a space. Um, what, what's the length of time? Like, what what time period are we talking about? It's
1: probably about um, twelve years, 11, yeah. 11 to
0: twelve years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And i think that's the that's really i think falls into this pattern you think of an overnight success it's usually Mm. 10 years in the making (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Mm. but now people have instagram these days so it's you know sometimes it can be a bit quicker (laughs) um but yeah Mm. i think like you know where the meditation world and the wellness world Mm. is um is an interesting kind of world that i exist in as well now you know because Mm. I feel like there are a lot of people uh, on social media that can claim to do a lot. And if they have like a really cool social media following and a page, then they instantly um, Mm. can be seen to have credibility. Mm. Um, But I think it's more nuanced when it comes to things like meditation because meditation is experiential. Mm. Um, And I can sit here and I can sell it to you and I can be like, it's good, it's great, look at my story, blah, blah, blah. But it's having that experience that really transforms you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not about doing it to be cool. It's actually the experience of uh, finding meaning and purpose within your life that really transforms you. Mm. So I think, um, you know, bringing you back to your question of an overnight success, as a teacher, for me, it's important that I'm meeting people and I'm meeting people's trauma. I'm meeting people's fears, their hopes, their dreams. And I take that job very freaking seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my tradition, it's bad karma if I fuck that around. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I take it very seriously. So I always want to do the work to be able to meet someone and to to feel safe that I can hold them mm. in that space. Um, but you know, there are industries like where if you have like yoga, for example, if you're a gymnast and all of a sudden you do yoga, like everyone thinks like this guy is an amazing yoga teacher, mm. but really he's just flexible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Um, it doesn't mm. mean anything more than that. So. You know, my advice to anyone here or listening is if you're going to pick a meditation teacher or a life coach or anything like that, choose wisely. Mm. (laughs) Choose who you're going to put your mind in the hands of.
0: Mm. And now with A-Space, you've done some remarkable things. Like you've run sessions at Mona and, you know, Los Angeles and, you know, the NGV and so on. Um, With A-Space, how do you now think of, say, your ambition? Are are you, is it the same that you felt in your previous career or or is it, oh man,
1: Mm. I'm not like a businessman, Mm. (laughs) like, and uh, now I'm the founder of this company and my co-founder left probably six months ago, right, Mm. so now I'm like the the guy that's teaching and facilitating, Um, and when my old business partner left, like it was was an amicable split, but um, I was then faced with almost the same anxiety and the feeling six months ago that i had when i was in corporate Mm. because i was going into like a whole new world now Mm. of having to to do the business management having to do the numbers and the the financial modeling and anytime there's anything with numbers my brain's like (laughs) it goes like that right and um so i had to kind of go through that and now i'm in a period where i'm looking to fundraise in the next six months i'm looking to create like an online portal so you know um, I have communities in New York, and I have communities here. I want to bridge those two, um, but also for me, really want to keep this authentic uh, space of being able to meet someone face to face and sit mm-hmm. in groups. Um, so for me, like the the meditation community might grow online, but it's always going to be rooted in, in these experiential um, gatherings.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I suppose just before I open it up to questions, I have. Say one observation just hearing your story in that um, I think what you're doing now really draws from those experiences you had as a kid and mm-hmm. that maybe the trauma you felt growing up in Far North Queensland being the outsider and also the um, the aura you felt when you had those experiences grew up in Sri Lanka with, the, with those monks and I think mm-hmm. what you're doing now is a combination of those, those two things mm-hmm. and I have this theory it's not really a theory it's just a story it is that um that we kind of draw on those childhood experiences like for those who are, who of us who are doing something meaningful it really comes back to like what what you experience as a child and that you either want to correct or you want to share with the world
1: yeah, yeah yeah and i think you know your audience will know like when you're a founder you go through like a roller coaster of emotions right it's never like Mm. the same day twice and uh, what I found is that in order for me to to stick with a space for four years and trust me there have been times that I've wanted to close it there have been times that I couldn't pay rent there have been Mm. times that I've worked I've done free classes for like multi-million dollar companies and just felt empty Mm. Um, and there have been times me my heart my Old co co founder were crying in (laughs) each other's arms. Mm. Uh, It was a really beautiful moment, two guys crying. But um, I think Mm. what ultimately sustains you is meaning. Mm. Um, As especially for me as a founder, there had had to be a greater depth to why I was doing this work. Mm. And if it was just about me, if it was just about how much money I I made or or even security in my life, I wouldn't have been able to make it through that period. Mm -hmm. But it was seeing people getting emails from people saying, you know, this community has saved my life, Mm. or I've gone off medications for the first time in 25 years, or I met the love of my life, or all Mm. of those sorts of stories um, have been like really what's sustained me Mm -hmm. um, all of this time. And it's really why I continue to do the work that I do.
0: Yeah, so Seth Gordon, he wrote this tiny book called The Dip, and it's really about when to quit and when not to quit. And in it he says, well, as you're doing something you, f- you go through periods like that, you go through trials, but then you kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's really the dip. And you know that a dip kind of eventuates on top mm. in the end. Uh, so it's really seeing that meaning you're creating and seeing that, okay, there is something I'm working towards. Mm. The, o- the opposite of that is what he calls a cul-de-sac in that you're doing something and it's you're on this hamster wheel and all you see is ennui and boredom and frustration. Mm. And that's when you know, okay, I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. And mm. I experienced both <laughs> throughout yeah. my day. Um, <laughs> mm. But I think, you know, ultimately uh, uh, for anyone that's um, looking to create meaning in their life, it mm. takes r- like inquiry. Mm. We have to really get in touch with what's here. Because if we listen to to everything outside, like if we go into the head, like, what gives us meaning is like, you know, a new partner or a better, better body or mm-hmm. more money or new shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to really go into here and we have to be with what lights me up here, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's a felt experience. It's not a cognitive experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's my, my kind of take on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Any questions? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: do you see meditation as something like a skill No, I don't think people are just talented. Um, I think almost everyone that begins meditation practice, and, and this is the thing, like meditation, uh, we think there's just like one style of meditation. There are like millions of, and thousands of different lineages and traditions, right? Um, the tradition I practice in, the intention is to cultivate wisdom and compassion and clear seeing. So the clear seeing is to see things as they really are, not through the filters in which we see the world, right? Um, an example is growing up with all of this trauma, like I might have seen through a filter of uh, everyone is against me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So my meditation practice was never going to be easy because I was trying to uproot all of these filters. Right? I was trying to see things clearly. I was trying to train my mind and train my heart to be compassionate and wise. And that takes work anyone that's telling you yeah it's so blissful just go and sit in a beach like if you google meditation it's like beautiful white women like sitting on a beach like this looking very uncomfortable um, but that that's kind of the, the, the impression of meditation um, I think it depends on your intention if you want to relax then do a meditation practice that will help you relax like lie down do that that's great if you want to cultivate wisdom you have to do the work and you have to, to be able to sit in suffering, to be able to sit in pain, and to cultivate that wisdom and that compassion for the experience. Um, if we talk about just presence and awareness, yeah, we're undoing like, our whole life's, a life worth of distraction, right? 47% of our day, our minds are somewhere else. That's like the latest research. Every eight seconds, our mind wanders away. So to retrain our mind takes effort, you know, and um, that's really what we're, what we're doing when we meditate. Especially in mindfulness practice. But mm. um, yeah, I definitely think if you're struggling with it, to see a teacher. Yeah. Mm. These days, we tend to interact with meditation through an app, um, and that's great, but you can't really ask your app questions like, why is my mind distracted? <laughs> like, mm. What is wrong with me? <laughs> so yeah, see a, see a teacher. Ask, or ask Siri. questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Siri. Yeah.
0: Um, going back to your anxiety. Test. I, I think you're and go and have a rest. Yeah. Um, what did you do and how would you do that differently? If you were the doctor. Yeah, you know, then how I do I you was, you
1: was a doctor. It's <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It takes effort, right? It takes like this moment of like genuine care mm-hmm. and understanding to want mm-hmm. to understand I think oftentimes we want to go straight to the solution instead of really trying to understand. Like, I don't know too much about the medical system, uh, if I'm honest, but um, I just wish there was more education for people, uh, for us, as opposed to, like, doctors and and things like that, that there are other ways that we can begin to explore our health. And meditation isn't the panacea. I hope I'm not, like, you know, selling that to you as that's going to fix everything. There's, like, diet. There's connection and friendship, that's so big, right? Loneliness is one of the biggest causes Mm -hmm. of mental illness these days. Um, And cities are depressogenic. So the more we live and work in cities, like the more isolated we're feeling. So there's so many other things that um, help our mental health. I just wish we were more educated. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, What advice would you give to
1: That's a good question. You've practiced that one before. (laughs) Um, What advice would I give myself is that everything's going to be okay Mm -hmm. and that you're going to get your heart broken and that's okay. You're going to be really self-critical and that's okay. Um, You're going to have tremendous highs and you're going to have tremendous lows. None of this defines who you are. Like You're not a bad person. It's probably like the underlying all of that is that um, you're going to be okay and that suffering is part of your life. Actually, that's probably the biggest thing I'd say, like suffering is part of your life Mm -hmm. and um, learn to befriend that. Uh, And sorry, what was the second part of that question?
0: Um, That what you've learnt now that you can go back then. So in
1: particular
0: with starting your own business and getting into the space.
1: Yeah. Um. Hmm. That it's not all about money. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I would say. Um, It's not all about money and you can have the most incredible life and uh, not have the amazing holidays uh, and the cars that all your friends have and that's okay too. But you will be so rich on the inside and um, you won't be able to trade that and you won't want to trade that in for anything. Mm
0: -hmm. Last question.
1: Show up this morning. I had such a late late night last night, night. Um, and I had like I think it's like vulnerability hangover. You know when you like are so vulnerable one night, and the next day you're like, what just happened to me? Um, But you know what? I I, I kind of reconciled this morning on my way here. Was that uh, it's not actually about me. Like I met a teacher when I was going through so much suffering in my life that showed me who he really was. He showed me how human he really was. And that experience really changed my life, and in turn, probably thousands of people's lives, you know, through that. And I think we underestimate uh, the impact we have in each moment when we are just present to someone. And I don't think um, I don't think we can hold all of it into ourselves. It's like, oh, I'm going to fill my cup up, blah blah blah. blah. For me, um, it's to live a life of service now, mm-hmm. um, because it's greater than it's greater than me, um, and yeah like just going back to my teacher, like just that one experience of of being seen as being a flawed, beautiful, imperfect human um, really had an impact on me, and it really showed me that we can show up for people even when we're not happy and even when we're not perfect, and we can have the ability to transform someone's suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. One you. more question. It mm-hmm. was uh, around the title of
1: today's session. yeah. That's such an amazing point, you know, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's also, again, there's an addiction to finding meaning in Mm -hmm. life. And I think instead of finding meaning through work, we can find meaning in this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, I look at any conversation that I have with someone, like that's a moment of meaning for me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Last night, there was someone uh, that had a a bit of an anxiety attack at this event. And I was speaking to her afterwards. And I'm like, you know, what was it? That triggered your anxiety. She's like, It was you! I was like, Sorry. And she was like, No, like when you were talking to me, like you were looking at my eyes and like I felt you were really there. And no one's ever done that before. And um, that really kind of touched me because I feel like a lot of our interactions in life can be like that. You know, we're not really seen, we're not really heard, we're not really felt. And that for me gives me so much meaning to just actually have just the connection with someone um, and that for me means so much more than having a legacy of being like that meditation guy mm-hmm. you know like uh, I would love to have, to just you know to see that more to find people mm-hmm. just be able to connect yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: great observation
0: yeah yeah that's a great question um, thank you so much Manas. this has been thank fantastic uh, thank you for coming I know he had a late night, night last night. I'm well, back to yeah. bed now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and thank you all for coming as well. Uh, yeah. This is the last event for 2019. Thank you for supporting this event series throughout the year. I, there's a few people who have been to more than one event and I'm deeply grateful. Um, so please keep an eye out for 2020. And in the meantime, stick around. There's three croissants left. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of coffee though. So uh, yeah. Be great to have a chat. Thanks. Also, be sure to check out our website, disruptivebusinessnetwork.com, for all the amazing events we have coming up. Don't forget that we do have a monthly book giveaway to all our new newsletter subscribers. And again, thank you so much for listening. This is Raul Solens. Until the next episode. And lastly, this podcast was brought to you by Dan Scahill on the buttons and with music by Vashti Silva. So thank you to the both of them.